Um, let's see. The microphone is there, and where is Carly? There she is. Why don't you come this way, Carly, and that way you can grab the mic and head up. Yeah, she loves to be in front. That's not actually true. Is it true? You kind of have a love-hate relationship with attention. She does. She loves attention and then realizes everybody's looking at me right now. And then, right? Is that good? Am I representing you well? Yeah, that's good. How many of you guys just love Carly? What a lovely and amazing daughter of this house. So Carly shared this story um, during our staff meeting last week, I believe it was, and it was so good, such a great testimony. And while she was sharing, it uh, became a part of the inspiration for the message that I'm going to share today. And so I'm going to let her share uh, what what she shared with us. So um, one of my boys who asked not to be named, uh, he's not the youngest and he's not the middle, but don't tell him that I told you that. was at um, Kids Church. Oh, man, that's a lot of steps. (sighs) He was at Kids Church um, two, three weeks ago, and they were having worship, and apparently it was kind of a rough day in home group, and um, he's had a little bit of a hard time being in there and being under control, but he came home, and he showed us this picture, and he wouldn't show my sister who brought him home, and he wouldn't show any of the teachers, but he showed us this picture, and You can't really see it, but there's a guy, and he's got a a shield and a sword, and then there's a bad guy, and the bad guy's saying, and and the guy's saying, for Jesus, and that's how he said it, for Jesus, and there's arrows, and he's running, and it's very exciting. He's got some great abs, too. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, he's really good at abs. Yeah. Um, Anyway, he's all armored up, so he said, I don't have it with me, so you're going to have to, he said, this is what was on the back. So he was, they were having worship and he was praying and it says, this picture shows a knight in golden armor. He is protected by the blessing of the Lord. He is also walking on water. That is because God is letting him to protect his warrior. He is a picture God gave me. I thought the knight is supposed to be me. I'm supposed to be a warrior for God and fight for the Lord, the father of all creatures. So that was pretty awesome that God spoke to him like that. So this unnamed boy, a young, young man, is talking about, I should probably bring the picture back up here. Yeah, here we go. He's talking about as God speaking to him, God is speaking to him about fighting. He's speaking to him about fighting. That is so politically incorrect. And I was actually going to go and talk to Sarah. What are you teaching these children to be violent You should just be teaching them to do something else. No, God spoke to this young man, and he spoke to the core of this young man, and he spoke to something that really burns in the heart of every young man and young woman, and that is to fight the good fight. I was thinking, you know, it's funny, you know, you've all heard the jokes of, you know, in in uh, in the idealistic notions of those that want to wage peace, which is good but sort of misapply it. And it's like, well, violence should never be in the world. And so we should never let our kids, you know, play with anything that might be a gun. And you'd work really hard, you know, remove all the guns from the house and won't even let them have toy guns. And, and then you come in and you see your children have taken their peanut butter sandwiches and bitten them into the shape of guns. And they're shooting at each other. You're like, okay, this is not because society is teaching them to be violent. It's because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's because we're born into 
a cosmic battle between good and evil, and it's not even close how much God will do to reconcile his people back from the evil one. And the Bible makes it clear. It makes it beautiful. It makes it noble because he says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. So for those that are saying like, hey, can we not kill each other? They're on the right track. God agrees. Let's not kill each other. But let's also not assume that we're in a peaceful place where there is no cosmic struggle, where there is no noble war. There is a noble war being fought in the hearts and minds of everyone who was born of God to defeat the darkness and the enemy who has rejected God's goodness and seeks to enslave spiritually, mentally, and physically all the sons and daughters of God. And so it's born in the heart of children. Even David said that God has, has, has uh, ordained praise to come from the mouths of children, even when they cry, and that that praise destroys the works of the enemy, that, there's, that the shout of praise breaks heavy yoke, that God does violence to the enemy when we worship God, it tears down spiritual strongholds. It's a bit of a mystery. I understand that. You know, we don't see these things. Some people can see into the spiritual. I, I wish that I could see into the spiritual. I don't, get, I don't get that opportunity. But we know that God has said that we're born into this cosmic struggle. And there's a fight worth fighting. And the desire to fight that battle is born in the hearts of our children. And as I was listening to this testimony, and I'm listening to God, you know, be so politically incorrect as to talk to a young kid about violence and war. And then I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I better update then that, that particular way of seeing the world. What do you guys think? And so then, I, then as, I was, as I was ruminating on that, and I was thinking about as we're on this journey together, for those of you that are here for the first time, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad that you're stuck around. If you need prayer after service, I feel like you've got a pretty good chance of getting healed today. We're going through a book called The Story. And what it is, is it's a, uh, uh, is it paraphrase the right, not paraphrase, it is a condensed version. Thank you, so different. Yeah, not paraphrase, not even close to paraphrase. It's actually written word for word, but it's a condensed version of the Bible that's showing the history of God with man through the Bible, so you can see it in story form. It's been an, an awesome adventure, and we're, we're going to cover week 11. We're going on a 31-week uh, journey together. And so we're coming into, right now, um, the, the shepherd who becomes king. We're going to talk about David. But what we're seeing is that cosmic struggle between good and evil. We started out in the, in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve, and, and here comes Satan to steal from God his own children. And he lies to, the, to God's children, and unfortunately, God's children, Adam and Eve, they listen to the dark one, and they hand over all authority to Satan, because Adam and Eve had been given all authority over the earth. And when they turned against God, when they disobeyed God, and they ate the fruit, as simple and as innocuous as it seems, it was an act of rebellion against God. It was the one place where God had given them the opportunity to either choose God or to reject God. See, we think of it as just a piece of fruit. The fruit was symbolic of the opportunity to choose God or to reject him. Are you guys with me? And unfortunately, they chose to reject God. 
And so Satan had all authority given to him then over the earth. And we began to see darkness corrupting and moving. Death comes into the earth. Sickness comes into the earth. Thorns come into the earth. Injustice comes into the earth. And things become increasingly worse. And so God, but from that moment, of course, he's a good father. He begins to create a way. And he begins to say, okay, in Christ, I'm going to redeem all things. And so we're seeing that story unfold of God taking steps to redeem all things back in Christ, but doing it with us. Isn't that amazing? We're, we're here and he's saying, I'm not going to do this without you being a part of that battle. I'm not going to do this simply, okay, I have to do this for you, but I'm not going to do it without you. And so our dad has allowed us to be a part of his story. So we're picking up here, and we're going to talk about David. And I want you to keep in mind this, this fight, this fight that's still born in the hearts of our young daughters and our young sons, and the fight that needs to burn in our own heart. And in that fight is between good and evil, not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. This is the battle that we're engaged in. And so I want to speak to that, to that facet of this story. So I'm going to cover a few scriptures, and then I'd like to come back and point out a couple of thoughts that I, I, uh, I believe that God has highlighted to me, and I'm praying that there will be a beautiful practical application for us as we look at one of our fathers in the faith, David, as he's, as he's uh, on his journey in Samuel. So last week, uh, we had the 40th anniversary, so we didn't preach on this, but I'm going to start with last week's. Uh, for those of you that, uh, that have been reading along with us, which is everybody, I'm sure, um, then you read about Saul, which is such a sad, sad story of Saul, unfortunately, rejecting God. He, he keeps disobeying the Lord. He keeps trying to do things in his own way. He keeps being more afraid of what people think than what God thinks. And unfortunately, because of that, it says that God had to reject Saul as the, as the one whose children Christ would be born through. And so, and so it happens here. He says, you've done a foolish thing. Saul has just sacrificed um, he's, 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 he's done the sacrifice on his own, which was only the priest was to do that. And so he stepped into the wrong place and he, it was his final, it was his final disobedience and disregard for doing things in God's time and in God's way. So Samuel says to Saul, you've done a foolish thing and you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. For all time, he would have done that, but you didn't obey him. I think that many of us, and this is a very quick note, but I just want to speak to your heart if you've ever felt this. When you see this thing that God rejected Saul, many of us get a shiver like, ah, like, oh, he rejected Saul. That's terrible. What if I get rejected? I mean, you know, we do the math very quickly. Has anyone here ever had that? Like, if you rejected Saul, right, you're just like, am I going to end up on that list? And the answer is only if you choose to. Only if you choose to. See, Saul rejected God. And so God had to reject Saul as a patriarch in this line of Christ. You catch that? So God didn't just arbitrarily cruise along and he's like, da-da-da-da-da, I've got my many purposes, they're so mysterious. Saul, you're in, no, you're out. And, and I think sometimes we read this story and we see that, but I want to bring to, I bring to, your, to your attention that 
Saul, actually, if you, if you, as you were reading through the story, he repeatedly disobeyed God, stepped away from God, stepped away from the heart of God, stepped away from even seeking to understand God's ways, but rather he was driven by other motivations and unfortunately took it to the point where God said, look, I can't preserve what it is that you're doing. And so he, he had to shift. And it says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. See, there was a choice there. Saul chose to do something enough times that God said, okay, amen. I will, I will accept what you're doing here. You're rejecting me. I'm going to have to go ahead and cut this off. You will no longer be the king. So that's a sad, sad part. And we notice that the, the language there, it's a, it's a man after God's heart. That he's seeking for. God's looking for a man who's after his own heart. So then in 1 Samuel, um, the Lord speaks to Samuel. Samuel's very distraught. um, And I think that speaks to the fact that Samuel loved Saul. He took no joy in Saul blowing everything up. It was an unfortunate thing. And so the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to, the, to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And so he goes and, and, uh, and uh, well, if you've read the story, then you know what's up. He goes to, the, to that particular town and he meets with Jesse and he says, Jesse, bring your sons in because the Lord has picked one of them to be king. And so then, uh, so Jesse brings in his oldest son, who is also a, a tall, handsome stud. And so he brings him out. And when Samuel uh, begins to look at him, it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest, and said, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. It's, he's thinking that in his heart. But the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, again, you just read, I've rejected him. God did not reject Eliab from heaven, from the kingdom, from Israel. He's just saying, you don't have what it takes to be given the authority over all of Israel as a king. Did you catch this? So I just want to speak that again. I, I really feel like the Lord, honestly, is right now, by the virtue of the Holy Spirit, is changing some hearts and minds where the enemy, when you read this stuff, has told you, and you too will be rejected, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've been chosen to be rejected, and you read these kinds of things, and you go, oh, that just feels like proof again. Saul was rejected. And I just believe that the Lord's speaking to that right now. And even as I'm drawing attention to this, remember, this man was not rejected from being God's friend. He wasn't rejected from being a son of God. He wasn't rejected from the things he was called to. He was rejected from being the king of Israel. So the Lord looks at the heart. He's looking for someone he can trust to be the king. And so the father brings all the other sons out, as you guys know with the story. He looks at each one of them. He's going from the oldest down to the youngest And none of them are the one. And so finally, Samuel says, Lord, there's kind of a problem. He's brought all the sons in. You haven't said anyone. Did you forget, Lord? Did you have an order? Did you not check your notes? And God says, just ask him. And so he asks him. He says, do you have any other sons? And he goes, well, I've got this one son who was actually his half-son. I'm sorry, his half-son. It it was his half-son, which is, let's just stop. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Born to him of a different woman. And so... He's got him out with the sheep. He, he doesn't even make the cut. He's not even the one his own father wouldn't even think 
that David would be the right guy for the job. You know that that's a bad deal. If your own dad is like, well, not David. (laughs) Sheep boy? No. No. Did you see Eliab? No, go get him. And so they bring him in. He says, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, and he's tending the sheep. So David, the man after God's own heart, is out tending the sheep. Now, who does that remind you of? Who is the shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep? Jesus. And here's David out there tending the sheep, spending time with the Lord. And, of course, we know he was quite a musician, so he had a lot of time on his hands tending sheep. So he learned to play the instruments and wrote a bunch of songs to the Lord and studied the law. So he was busy out there. Let me continue through because I want to pull this all together. So at that time, Samuel anoints David, and then pretty much life goes back to the way it was. David goes back out and tends the sheep. He gets a job working as a musician in Saul's house because at this point, Saul is now being plagued by an evil spirit. And he asks for someone to come. The the wise men around him say, hey, bring somebody who's really good with an instrument to play soothing music whenever this evil spirit comes on Saul. And so David gets that job. They'd heard that David was really good with the harp. And so he would come in and he would play to Saul and it would comfort him. And the spirit would leave him when he would play for him. So you see God's hand. He's establishing David. But basically David's job is he's like a hotel musician. He's not even a rock star. Just go play in the lobby when somebody's in a really bad mood until they get in a better mood and then go back and take care of the sheep. So this is what David's doing for for some time. And then it begins, it's time to go to war. The Philistines come together. You guys know the story. The The Israelis are on one side. The Philistines are on the other side. And then down in the valley, they come down to the battle lines. And each day, they would... They would prepare then for battle, but in this particular situation, Goliath, this huge 12 and a half foot giant comes out, and he says this. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, or are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And David, uh, so he continues to do this. He continues to come out. For 40 days he does this. And he, he says these same things. All of Israel is afraid of Goliath. No one is willing to go out and fight with him. Because he's huge. He's terrifying. It's for good reason that they're looking at Goliath. Now, I don't understand why they went ahead and, and agreed to his terms. That's a mystery to me. Um, but at any rate, they, no one man would go out and fight him. So they continued to do this. So David comes out and he hears this Goliath making these accusations and, and, and making fun of Israel and making fun of Israel's God. And so he, he listens to this and he says, you know what? What happens if we kill this guy? You know, if the, if, like, whoever kills this guy, what does he get? So they tell him the list. You get to be tax exempt for the rest of your life. You get to marry Saul's daughter, uh, Michael. And, uh, and, you know, it's a good thing. And he says, oh, that sounds pretty good. And so as he's asking around, and he's the only man in all of the Israelites' armies that are even asking 
about it. Nobody else is wanting to do it. I mean, they know what the, what the prize is, but no one else is saying, hey, I could, I could do this. I could do this. He's the only one that's thinking, hey, what, you know, I could handle this. So Saul hears about it and calls for him. So David comes to him, and, and Saul actually knows him because he's the guy that plays the harp for Saul, which is an interesting part of the story, isn't it? That, that David has been the one who soothes Saul's spirit when Saul's having a rough time. So there's some equity that's already been built there. So now here comes harp boy, uh, and he says, hey, you know what? David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. And Saul replies, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the, from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it, which is amazing. And he says, your servants killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so David goes out to face the Philistine. And, and this, is, this is what happens. So, the, so Goliath sees little David. He's a teenager, basically. And he's going, are you kidding me? And he's insulted. And of course, just like in all of time, he's going to talk some smack. You know, it's time to have a fight. First, you've got to tell the other person how you're going to destroy them. So he does. And he says, I'm going to destroy you. You know, you come at me like a dog with a stick or something. He says, I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to, you know, and so he goes on and on. And so then David says to Goliath, he listens. And then David says this, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So he's sounding the clarion call, you know, much like Pastor Susan just did. Like, you're going to get healed. Unbelief has got to go. And so he comes out and he says, this is what's going to happen, Goliath, because you have gone against God, and he is going to deliver you into my hand. And he says this, this is how he finished. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So now David just took his personal faith and now he makes it bigger. He goes, Goliath, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have talked about God like that. You shouldn't have tried this. And because you've done that, the Lord himself is going to destroy you. I'm going to fight but the Lord's going to give me the victory. All I have to do is show up. And furthermore, now he's talking to the guys behind him, furthermore, God's going to give all of you into our hands. So now his personal breakthrough is beginning to create a corporate victory. And he's created a vacuum. He's moving towards the battle line now. And so we know what happens. He, he has five stones in a little shepherd bag, and he's got a sling. And he goes running out into the field. No sword, no armor. He's just got on his, I don't know, <laughs> his sheep rolls. 
And so he goes running out there. He pops it in. He lets loose. It hits him square in the forehead. It says the stone sinks into his forehead. So he broke his skull, knocks him out cold, runs up to him, pulls the sword out of Goliath's hand, and cuts his own head off with it. And it says, the terror then fell upon the Philistines. They forgot the deal. The deal was, we'll all become your servants. Well, they forgot that, which makes me think they never intended to do that anyway. I think that if Goliath would have beat their their champion, they would have still come after him. Who even knows? All we know is fear came upon him. They chased him down and became a huge corporate victory. And it was David's major step onto the scene, moving towards God fulfilling the promise that he would be king. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about today. The interesting thing about David's, well, there's many interesting things, but at this point, there are some interesting things that I think we can take from David's life, and we can see they have a practical application in our own lives. And as I was, as I was contemplating the unnamed son of the Davises and this fight that was inside of him, and that he's like, I want to fight that fight. I want to fight that fight. And I thought, that's interesting. That's born in the hearts of every son and daughter of God to want to fight the good fight. And eventually, if they don't, then they stop. I wonder who wants us to forget that we're supposed to fight a good fight. And if we are to fight a good fight, where do we begin to learn how to fight the good fight? Where's the real battle? And so as we're looking at David's life, I think we can find some some interesting things that David has done. And let's remember, David is the man who was chosen because he was living a lifestyle where God looked around. It says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, seeking for the righteous. So as he was looking to and fro, he goes, look at this young man. He has a heart that reminds me of my own. He has a heart after my own heart. Let's keep an eye on this guy. Look at what he's cultivating in his life. We may be able to trust him with the authority over Israel. We may be able to entrust him with much more influence than he right now has. And David continues to cultivate this. And where does he do it? Out with the sheep. Completely alone is where David first wins the major victories that paved the way for him to then bring a national victory. And it was out when he was alone, when a lion comes and steals one of those sheep. You know, it's interesting because I think for a lot of us, if we were sheep herders and we're hanging out and a lion came and nabbed a sheep and ran off, I think, I'll just speak for myself. I think I'd be like, yeah, you know, I got a hundred sheep. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's pretty good. In fact, I'm not a bad shepherd because he wasn't able to take two. You know, he only took the one. And it was that sheep that's really stubborn anyway. I mean, so I feel like the sheep kind of reaped what he sowed. So, praise God. Also, uh, never mind. Okay, so um, I think most of us could justify letting one sheep go. For instance, it's probably dead. It's probably already dead. 
I don't know. All I know is that David, a man after God's own heart, goes, not on my watch, grabs whatever. In fact, it doesn't even say that he took a sling that time. I think he may have forgotten the sling. He cared so much about the sheep, I'm imagining. He's sitting there playing with his slingshot, shooting trees, you know, like, I'm going to knock that branch off that tree. Because he had to have been practicing. He didn't go out. It wasn't the first time he ever played with a slingshot when he hit Goliath. Here comes the lion, takes the sheep. He sees it. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Who's that remind you of? And not only that, he gets it back. And then when the lion turns on him, then he goes, time to die. And he kills a lion. And I think, honestly, because he'd already been cultivating this in his heart, I think probably at the end of all of it, he's like, I just killed a flipping lion. He's like, I wish they had invited, invented an iPhone because my brothers are never going to believe me. They're never going to believe that I killed this lion with my bare hands. And then he did it with a bear. So something's been going on. Now listen to this. David is cultivating something in private in his heart that God is pleased and confident in. He sees in David a heart that consistently turns towards God. Now there's a dynamic of being alone that can become the, 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 uh, the place of greatest battles for us. It introduces the opportunity of total independence. We're most able to direct and create an environment that is the result of whatever we choose when we're alone. You're never more in control of your environment than when you're alone. You get to create, you want loud music? Music's loud. You want anger in the room? There's anger in the room. Okay? In almost every other area of our lives, there are structures and social constructs in place. They're usually positive. Okay? You go out in the workplace, you go out, you're here. They're positive. Be kind, work hard, listen well, treat your neighbor with respect, <laughs> throw your garbage in the trash, etc. Now, these constructs are the natural outflow of the second commandment love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that around us. For the most part, it's the golden rule. Even people that don't believe in Christ are like, hey, remember the golden rule treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, that's love others as you want, as you love yourself. There's a built-in positive peer encouragement or peer pressure that each of us feels, and it helps us do the right thing for no other reason, perhaps, than to avoid confrontation. Right? You're out in the flow. You're with other people. You look around. You're like, is anybody else doing this really stupid thing in my heart? No, they're not. I'm going to go ahead and not do that then because people will know. But when you get alone, you are now king of the castle. You are now the master of whatever you want to do. You may be in front of God, but he's the only one that's there in that moment. So there's something about that private moment. There's something about what we create in those places that shows what we're truly cultivating and what we will actually release overall. Are you guys with me? So there's something going on in our private lives. There's something going on when we're out with the sheep that belong to us. We're alone with our own possessions and with those that are entrusted to us for their care. There's no other place where we have more influence to create that. So these times of solitude, these times where we're alone, what we cultivate in these places 
in these areas that we have actual control over, this shapes the kind of influence that we'll have everywhere else. Did you catch that? What you're cultivating when you're alone, what you're cultivating in those places where you have the control to be able to create that atmosphere, that's going to shape how much influence and what kind of influence you have in the marketplace, in the kingdom, in your business, as an employee, wherever you are. See, that's going to shape what kind of influence you have. God looked at David and saw what he was cultivating and said, I want to trust this man with the kingdom and with my legacy because I can see what he's cultivating in private when no one else is looking. And the only ones who can say anything about what he's up to are sheep. They can't even tell anyone. And in those places, David cultivated courage, worship, and study of the word. And God looked at him and goes, this guy, this guy gets me. This guy gets me. This is, a, this is a man that I'm going to entrust the kingdom with. I have to take it from this other man who didn't understand me. He didn't get me. He was just afraid of me instead of love me. Here's a man that loves me that even when he should be afraid of me, he runs to me so that I can heal him and forgive him. I'm going to go with this guy. And so that, that causes us to ask a question, what am I cultivating in my place of solitude? You see, what we cultivate in our own home that's, that's, that's the place where David was tending the sheep. That's where you're tending the sheep. Is your, is your house always a mess? Well, you're cultivating that. Is there always anxiety? Oh, by the way, let me just stop. I said anxiety. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Okay. Um, I want to say this. I am preaching this message, first of all, to me. You happen to be here for this one to hear me preach a message to me. If it blesses you, that's fantastic. I hope it does. But I just want to go ahead and self-report right now. This is, this is I'm just going to talk about me. This is my area of greatest uh, engagement here. You know, it's actually quite easy for me to be a pretty good guy here because you all expect that from me. It's not like I have this option of like, I'm just going to be a complete jerk because you'd be like, what are you doing? That is the exact opposite of what I would expect from you. I'm like, that's true. So there's a really positive peer encouragement from all of you to be the man that God called me to be. This is not the challenging part of my life. The challenging part of my life is to come home and be the man that I am very naturally here in front of you, in front of my wife and my two daughters. Or do they get to meet the man who is so focused on every undone task in our cities and in the nations, and so completely trying to take things apart and put them back together that I'm distracted and anxious and short-tempered. Do they get that guy? See, that's my battle. That's my battle. That's the place where I decide if this bear of anxiety comes or this lion of, of being a workaholic and comes, am I going to let those two eat my two lambs or will I go after them and take that back and fight that battle? See, that's my battle. Are you guys with me? 
And so that's what I have to cultivate. And let me tell you something. It's not static in my home. There's a, there's a battle. And, and like the unnamed young warrior here, God wants me to take up my sword and fight. And if there's not a sword around, he just wants me to chase the lion. And then I could grab it by the hair and somehow kill it. I need to land this plane. Let me, let me just expose what I believe the enemy does in this place, and then I want to pray. But are you, is this making sense to you guys? Okay. Satan alternates between tempting us to violate God's law of love and holiness with compromise and then accusing God of having an impossible and unrealistic expectation on us. So we may as well give in now and then, at least get a little comfort. So he's like, hey, you know what? Come do this. And then, and then on the other hand, he goes, what's up with God anyway? I mean, he's the most random rules. He doesn't really expect you to be able to hit that level of holiness all the time. And then flips back again. Hey, come do this fun thing. What do you think? Isn't God crazy with all his rules? I mean, he's a, that's why Jesus died, so you wouldn't have to worry about that stuff anymore. And you're like, right now that makes sense to me. Yeah, you're right. And so here's this alternating program where when you're alone, the enemy is both tempting you to do something and then being your friend and saying, it's all good. You know, God understands. He'll forgive you anyway. Are you guys with me? So you see this tug of war going on inside of your own heart. And all the while, what is the point? What is it that he wants? He wants you to stop fighting. Stop fighting the good fight. That's what the enemy's looking for. When you're alone, when you're in these places and it's something other than Goliath, when it's just a little bear or it's just a little lion and no one would know anyway, and even if they did, you could at least justify and say, look, I was able to save 99 in my life. I am 99% getting it right. It's just this 1% over here. It's just the part where I'm a complete jerk to my wife because she knows I love her and she of all people should understand that there's nothing in the tank for her. So she should just be okay with that. Doesn't she see what a good guy I am with everyone else? No amens? Okay. Are you guys with me? And that can be anything. I'm not going to name things because we all know which one of our lambs keeps getting eaten by what specific bear or lion. But we've got to cultivate fighting the good fight in private, in that place of our home. And when I say private, I think most often it's actually our families that are getting the brunt of this. But there is the actual completely alone time too. For some of us, it's being able to be alone and, and not be entertained. Maybe we got to cultivate that. I'm not going to go into too many examples, as I said. Now listen, if we, believe, if we believe that God has somehow said, it's okay, just let one lamb go as long as you've got the other 99. If we, begin to, if we begin to allow there to be space in our lives, in our private lives, where we don't continue to cultivate, when we don't fight the good fight, when we forget that we're this warrior that was drawn and God wants you to fight the good fight, when we forget that, what happens is we end up cultivating habits that keep us in consistent disobedience to God and create a lifestyle of dysfunction, a self-fulfilling prophecy of our own fallibility and God's seemingly unrealistic expectations that we be holy because he's holy. 
See, we create a self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, I'm probably going to end up doing this one thing, but that's okay because there's grace for it. So instead of fighting the actual battle and saying, wait a minute, he's holy and I can be holy. He is my rock. He is my strength. And that means even in these moments where, yeah, historically, this may be the area where I keep getting beat. But today's the day. If that lion shows up, I'm going to fight that battle. So the bottom line is, if we believe the opposite of this, if we believe what God is, or I mean what God, what Satan is telling us, if we believe that these areas don't matter to God, are you with me? If we think there's an area that doesn't matter to God, and I mean this in a perfectly positive way, he loves every aspect of you. He's the one that knows how many hairs are on the top of your head. He literally, I mean, he loves you so much, he actually counts your hair. I mean, I love my wife's hair. I'm like, oh, your hair smells so good. I have no idea how many there are. I, I wish I could, because I do love you, but he loves her more, because he's counted them. All right, so this is not a negative thing, but he's saying, I like all of you. I love all of you. Don't allow one part of your life to be eaten up by a lion or a bear. That's a battle I want you to fight. Are you guys with me? And you only have to fight it as long as it's called today. You don't have to fight it yesterday. Just today. You don't even have to fight tomorrow's yet. Just today. You only have to kill the lions and the bears in this day. And let me tell you something. If you kill today's lion, that's one less lion. I know, they're, they're losing. They're going to be extinct someday, the lions and the bears in your life. And then someday, a Goliath will show up and you'll be like, oh, honestly, I know he looks huge, but serious, I've been alone for a long time killing bears and lions, and I've gotten amazing with this thing. Like, I could sink this thing into a tree. You should have seen, you should see the trees where I work. They are sunk down. Like, you have no idea how much this is going to hurt this guy. It'll probably kill him, but if it doesn't, I'm going to cut his head off with his own sword. And everybody's like, where did you get so brave? And you're like, it's, it's actually easy. I just kill a bunch of lions. I mean, I hang out with sheep. I sing to the Lord, study the word, play with my slingshot. I'm going to kill this guy. Like, it's not even a thing. I'm going to do it. The bottom line is this. If we stop fighting the good fight in private, we will eventually stop fighting the good fight in public. But if we will always fight the good fight in private, we will eventually always win the good fight in public. Now, this is, this is, this is the whole. Satan wants us to stop fighting the battle. That's his strategy. Stop fighting. Why, does, why is that his strategy? I mean, that seems like a really stupid strategy. Like, could you just, could you just stop fighting? And really, it's the same thing with Goliath. He's just like, I'm big. And then, and then after a while, we're like, well, that doesn't scare us. And he's like, oh, your flesh is big. And we're like, well, that, that does actually kind of ring true. And that becomes the Goliath in our life. Your fears are big. That becomes the Goliath in our life. But the strategy is simply this. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Don't fight the battles. I got good news for you. David understood 
that as long as we actually fight the battle, God will always give you the victory. David knew God was going to give him the victory. He'd been practicing. He's like, okay, the one time when there was the lion, I was running after the lion. I tripped on a rock. I rolled down. I broke a branch. It fell on the lion and killed it. I'm not, I mean, that's a win. I'm taking the win. But I'm not sure that maybe God was helping me. And the other time I was with the bear and I punched it inside of its mouth and somehow that stunned it and it didn't bite my arm off. I feel the Lord may have been the one that gave me that victory. Are you tracking with me? I mean, I'm being playful here, but here's the deal. God says that victory comes from him. And when David went, he didn't say, I will be victorious over you because I am a mighty lion and bear killer. He said, I will be victorious over you because God is going to defeat you this day. These private battles, you will win every single day if you fight. If you fight, God will give you the victory. Mull that over. Is that true? You've never lost a battle you fought. Think about this for a minute. In your private life, you've never lost the battle you actually fought. You only lost when you stopped fighting. Addiction? Every time you resisted, you didn't do it. The time that you didn't resist, you did it. Which battles did you lose? Which battles did you win? That one where you did it because you stopped fighting. There's grace that's sufficient for every day for us. And the enemy's only strategy that he has is to get us to stop fighting. He just needs you to stop fighting one of those battles. And what does the word say? As long as it is today, do not harden your heart. Today. Today is the day of your salvation. Today. As long as it is today. And he is faithful to heal you. He's faithful to forgive you. If you've sinned, go to your brother, confess it, your sister, confess it. He will heal you. He will forgive you. You get back up and you fight a new battle. Because you'll win every battle you fight. You and I must understand God will always give us the victory. All we have to do is fight. God will always give us the victory. All we have to do is fight. Amen? I want you to stand up for a second. And uh, can we have the prayer servant team? I want you guys to get ready. If anybody needs prayer for healing today, I want you to go and get prayed for. I want you to think about this. And I just want us to say it a few times. I want to write it on our hearts. It's simply this. God gives the victory. Think about that for a minute. Is that true? Are you mentally, spiritually, can you connect with that? Is that a reality? Okay. Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. So God gives the victory. Amen? All right. The other statement that I'm going to ask about is this. All I have to do is fight. Is that true? Okay, so here's what's beautiful. God gives the victory. Would you say that? That's true, right? And all I have to do is fight. 
That's all I have to do. God gives the victory. All I have to do is fight. God gives the victory. All I have to do is fight. God gives the victory. All I have to do is fight. Just cultivate that in your private times. Amen? Amen. All right. Go defeat the enemy.